Good morning, church. I titled the uh, sermon Lust Busters, uh, but think of it like Ghostbusters, if you remember the song. It's kind of what we're talking about here. And, and much like the Ghostbusters, there's very little hope for us to do it on our own. I'm gonna, you're going to hear that a lot as you go through these passages where things are being called to the carpet, our actions, our thoughts, our hearts, our minds. It's very tempting to think, well, hey, tell me what to do. Tell me how to fix it. Give me some steps, 6, 7, 12, whatever it takes. I want to overcome this in my life. And uh, the, the good and bad news, I guess, depending on how you view that, is you cannot overcome this sort of thing on your own. There's nothing to be done that's going to redeem you in and of yourself. There's nothing that I can do for you other than to share with you the good news as commanded by God. And, and we all pray that the Holy Spirit will then begin to convict you of what's going on. Today will be no different. Um, and we sing a lot about marriage, and uh, I'm talking specifically about lust, <laughs> which can lead to marriage. And matter of fact, surprisingly, if you're not familiar, is commanded to us in lieu of being consumed by lust. We ought to just marry somebody. And you might think, well, that sounds like terrible advice, and I'm not saying that it's necessarily great advice, but we see it in some cases where it's preferred. Today's topic is going to be the nature of lust, the unbridled, unchecked lust, the kind of thing that can consume us in many regards, especially if we leave it alone and, and, and pretend that it's of no impact or something that we'll just deal with, much like we talked about anger last time. So let's go ahead and read. It's, it's very short. It's only four verses today, and then we'll, we'll pray and get right into it. So if you've got your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5, and uh, verses uh, 27 through 30. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than, than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Let's pray. Lord, it's a, it's a short passage that we're studying today. It's very clear what we're being told to do. Uh, but as usual, Lord, as we study this, I pray that it's going to open up into more in our minds and our hearts. Uh, we pray that you'll cultivate this. And uh, as we just saying about, Lord, draw us nearer to you and away from these passions that can consume us if left unchecked. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the hope that it represents. And I thank you for the work that you did on the cross, which gives this word power every day in our lives. It's in your sins, I pray. Amen. All right. So last week, we touched on anger as a heart condition. I know in our world, we talk about that quite a bit, that, hey, what's what you're thinking and what you're feeling matters. This would have been pretty new at the time. They were very measured. Did you break an actual law? There is no law that we can measure on how somebody's heart is. So it was easy for them to just write that off. You can have all the hate and the lust that you'd like. And uh, last week, we, t we touched on hate and what it does. It leads us down a path that becomes difficult for us to be redeemed, difficult for us to connect from, from A to B. And today we, today we see lust being addressed. Now, this passage is a bit shorter than the anger passage was last week, um, but it's, it's every bit as powerful. 
As before, actions are easy to accuse and discipline. If I lash out physically at somebody, it's easy to say, whoa, we don't hit. Um, that's violence and that's not going to be uh, accepted. We're going to discipline you because of that. But if it's in your heart, it's very, very difficult to, to address it at all. What, what we see Christ encouraging us to do is not to walk around and say, hey, what's going on in your heart? Explain it to me. Any hate in your heart? If so, we need to correct it. These are designed to be introspective questions, introspective passages. Search your own heart. You know going on, things going on in your brain, the stuff you're struggling with on a daily basis, people that are driving you nuts. In this case, maybe people that are causing you to sin with lust. They're consuming you. You can't get enough of them. You can't get them out of your head. Any of us that have, have walked the aisle of marriage have dealt with that certainly once for sure, but if that's the only time, you're probably deceiving yourself. What we see here is something that would have been very, very difficult at a time like this. Adultery um, is a very serious matter. And it starts, just as the last passage, by extolling and preaching Scripture. You shall not commit adultery. This is like last week. You're told murder is a sin. Everyone not. Yep, you, you shall not commit adultery. Amen. Now that'll preach. Absolutely. We agree. There would have been nodding heads for sure. This is a big commandment. Everyone knew it. Everyone, this wouldn't have been, this part wouldn't have been strange to anybody that he was talking to. Adultery then was far more serious than today legally. In today's world, you can do whatever you want. Throw your marriage away. There might be a penalty to pay if you had an agreement or a prenup or something like that. But other than that, I mean, you're going to split some property if you get divorced, but there's no crime to be committed to commit adultery in the world. Nobody cares anymore. At this time, it was a serious matter. People got uh, in front of you. Uh, you were brought into court. Things were charges were made. People were ex, 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 you know, excommunicated from the community and all kinds of penances. So whether it was in your heart or not, the commission of adultery was a bigger deal then. In today's world, in some ways, sadly, uh, nobody really cares about adultery. So whether it's in your heart is largely irrelevant to whether you commit it. They're both the same. Doesn't matter. But at this time, what Christ is saying is the stuff you thought didn't matter. The fact that you fall asleep at night fantasizing about somebody, but you never would act on it because it's so serious. It's as if you did that. Just like with anger, the heart matters as much as the body. If you look at a woman with lustful intent, the deed is done. There need not be any physical contact for a sin of commission. This would have been groundbreaking. For you today, if you're hearing this, and this is groundbreaking, good news. You're hearing some wonderful things. It's not enough to keep your hands to yourself. You need to keep your mind on the matters of God. Now, those of us that are married, there's always going to be this antithetical vein about like, wait a minute, I mean, aren't you supposed to find opposite sex attractive? I mean, isn't that what we're here to do? It's like a sort of a prime directive of humanity is to reproduce, be fruitful, and multiply. That's in there too. You're telling me I'm supposed to be completely devoid of lustful feelings, and that's not what we're talking about here. This isn't about kind of the natural cadence of attraction that's being well-managed and, and funneled into a godly perspective. Yes, you will find people attractive. That's okay. It's okay to look at somebody and think that person's attractive. It's less okay to look at somebody and say, that person's very attractive, especially if I was married. And it's not okay to say, man, imagine if, what, if I was with somebody that attractive. Or is there any way I could be with somebody that attractive but not commit? Or, or have that kind of as something that I kind of do on the side because this part of my marriage is, is, is lackluster or something along those lines. The world will tell you that's all fine. That's okay. 
What Christ is saying here is if that's going on long before you decide to rent a hotel room, you, are, you have sinned. You have committed to this. This assertion would not have caused as many head nods. I bet you there will be a lot of furrowed brows. Maybe not so much in the church here today, but at that time for sure. Whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, you can't blame us, right? We all got eyes. We got this and that and the other. Well, even if it's a sin, that's probably not a big one. I've heard this statement in many forms my entire life. Boys will be boys. You know how guys are. Who could blame them? They're all animals. Men are dogs. Men are pigs. You know, it doesn't matter where you work up your appetite as long as you come home to eat. All this stuff. I've heard all these my whole life to justify the fact that, well, it's okay. If you're just seeing, if you're just drinking it in, but you're not acting on it, then you're still cool. Christ says, you are not cool. That is uncool. Avert your eyes. Walk away from that sort of stuff. Do what you need to do. Try your best. Will you sin? Will you stumble? Will you? Yes, but don't check it off as that's just the way I'm made. I'm going to foster this lust and deal with it and log it into my brain and, and have something I can always just dwell on when I'm feeling lonely or bored or tedious or whatever. That is not what we are called to do. So much so that there seems to be something different about adultery. We know this because Christ now pivots to some solutions here in this passage. Oh, you're struggling a little bit? Oh, yeah, we're all struggling. You know how guys are? Absolutely. Um, how about this? If you have wandering eyes or roving hands, let's just remove those. What do you say, gents? <laughs> Whoa. Whoa, what? I mean... You want me to literally gouge out my eye if I can't keep it off of attractive women? You're telling me if I have an affair, the punishment should be to lop off my hands. Are you going to imagine what people would think? The first time I heard these passages, I thought the same. There's no way I'm going to pluck my eye out. There's no way I'm going to do that. This is, this is lame. I'm not going to do it. Um, I'm not sure about this. Fair. I think this passage is tricky, and I think it's often glossed over. We can view it, and it's not wrong to view it as it's important to avoid temptation. The seriousness of temptation, right? If you've ever been out, and I'll tell you what, it's getting more and more difficult. I'm not going to pivot this message into like trying to, to, to worry about modesty. It's just there's too much to cover with that. But in the world of today, it's very difficult to look anywhere at nearly anybody and not have to keep something in check. Maybe it's just me, and I'll readily confess that. But some of the outfits that are worn... And the way that people dress, men and women alike, it's, it's, uh, it catches my attention. I do well not to allow it to distract me for too long. I certainly do well not to look at it and think, I'm gonna, let me really study that. I'm not going to do anything. I just really want to remember every little detail because what I'm seeing is wrong. This is the way a lot of this gets confused. The, the, the real secret here is don't charge headlong into temptation. Why? Why does it matter? Does it matter? Is it that big of a deal? I, I, this is always the questions around around. There seems to be something more permanent here. Number one, we don't regrow eyes or hands. The two examples that Christ uses would be permanent in your life. If you take an eye out, it does not come back. If you cut your hand off, it will not grow back. Now, we could get into debates about prosthetics and things like that, but it's, it's not your hand. It would be something else, a substitution. Sexual immorality is so serious because it can send us to hell. There is a permanent penalty. It's stated here twice. It's better that you take your eye out, better that you lose one of your members, than that your whole body be thrown into hell. 
Oh, so the eye. If you're right hand, cause you can throw it out. Same exact words in two verses. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. It seems like here in two exact back-to-back -back verses, it is better that you lose one of your members and your whole body goes to hell. What we can conclude here is that we should be very cautious. Our eye, our hand, has the ability, the example, to send us to hell. This is the danger of lust. This is the reason, fundamentally, the world doesn't care about lust. Cultivate it. Turn it over. Live in it. Waller around in it. Get filthy. It's cool and it's fun. There's tons of entertainment. It's justified. You name it. Somebody thinks it's great. They'll celebrate it. It's your identity. It's who you are. It's what you are. It's what you do. It's, it's kind and right and good. Beloved, it is not. It is horrific. It will dismantle you. It can leave you permanently maimed. If Christ would rather you gouge out your eye and cut off your hand to prevent you from falling into hell, that is rather serious. He certainly didn't advise that for being angry. It's better that you should, should cut your neck and not be angry. No. Another thing to note is this is not a punishment for sin. And this is where, for me, he had always heard the wrong way around. Uh-oh, watch out. Get caught up. I pluck out my eye. I know I shouldn't be looking. What Christ is saying is not punishment for committing the sins of lust. This is very noteworthy. This action is preferable to the sin. If you're trying to figure out what you should do, look upon something that's going to cause me to lust or gouge out my eye. My choice should be to gouge out my eye. If those are my only two options. Now, obviously, the third option is don't look. Steer clear. Don't park your car in front of a nude beach. Don't see movies that are rife with nudity or have scenes that are compromised. Don't do that. If you are, can avoid them altogether, then you don't have to worry about plucking out your eye because your eye has nothing to see. I'll stipulate that as harder and harder and harder. But the interesting thing is, no matter how tough that gets, no matter how easy it might seem in some communities, the problem of lust, at the time when, when Jesus is addressing this, there are no uh, nude beaches. Everybody, nobody was scantily clad. And still, he's addressing this as a real issue. When I think about this in my life, I, I, I can confess that there is this notion of, man, if only all this stuff was gone. If all this flesh was covered, it wouldn't be a problem for me. Well, I don't think that's true. That's what I want to tell myself. But it's not true. It's, it's just like every other sin in the Bible. It doesn't matter what's there. The brain will deceive you. I'll try to lean on my own understanding. And I will walk down a path of lust, no matter what it is that I'm looking at, if I don't keep it in check. The men at this time, women too, but he's addressing men here specifically, were consumed by this. And he knows it. And when he's bringing this up and he's telling them how serious it is, they're probably thinking, what are you talking about? How can this possibly be? Basically, sexual sin can affect your body more than losing an eye or hand. Yes, it can send you to hell. But it is, uh, it is a sin like no other. And the ramifications and the recommendations are uniquely for, 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 are uniquely positioned for this. Folks that have thought, well, perhaps it's not a big deal. You know, I just, uh, you know, I, I dabble in pornography and I, I do a little of this and a little of that, but it's not something that I consider a big deal in my life. It's just something, you know, studies have shown, the world has proven, and we don't talk about it, that this changes us physically. It's like any other addiction. If anyone's ever uh, decided, you know what, I'm going to dabble in uh, doing a bunch of drugs. 
And we say, well, the drugs have affected your brain. Your speech is slurred permanently. You're unable to connect those dots and think cognitively at a high level anymore. And we say, well, the drugs that did it. That's why we say don't do drugs. People still do drugs. We don't think it's good, but they still do it. Those exact same kinds of things physiologically occur when it comes to sins like lust left unchecked. We begin to be consumed by it. We begin to do things that we have found abhorrent several weeks prior. If you ever go into a big city and you walk around or, or drive around and you see how many strip clubs there are and you think to yourself, I cannot believe there are so many shameless men that will literally just go and sit and watch a lady dance and hand her money if she's naked. Those places aren't closing. Because that, that, that terminus, that place that might seem so foreign to us, becomes something that feels very normative in our brain if we leave it alone too long. And what Christ is saying is, if you think you can get by by just making do or just managing that sin yourself, it's better that you gouge out your eyes and cut off your hands. These two body parts that he picked are not in any way ironic and were probably very well appointed. For men, eyes and hands work together, combined with lust, to do things that can ruin you. Take them both away, and it's very, very difficult. It's that serious. Points to ponder. Adultery is a sin. This will not change. We talk a lot about the law, the old law, the new covenant. Uh, what does it mean? We see Christ saying adultery is a sin. His assertion here is to let us know there's no relaxing of this. Leah touched a little bit on uh, marriage in our singing. As we mentioned, there's not a lot of songs centering around lust per se. But the covenant of marriage is engineered to show us a tiny glimpse, a shadow of our relationship to Jesus. Adultery in marriage is adultery in our relationship with Christ. We are cheating on him with ourselves, with sin, with whatever, ignoring the law, throwing care to the wind and doing what we want to do, consumed by it. That is a sin, and it will not change. Adultery is more than a physical expression of lust. Adultery can condemn us if we do not act. And by condemn, I mean ultimate condemnation straight to hell. It's here twice. Same exact stuff. But lastly, adultery cannot overcome the work of Christ. That's the really good news. So let's start at the top. Adultery is a sin this will not change. The world will redefine and spin this until Jesus returns. In my relatively short lifetime, I have seen things that were once absolutely nowhere near going to be tolerable now become almost expected. Uh, that we're going to show and teach people that this is not just acceptable, but okay, good. Uh, this indicates some sort of rightness and in, in attitude towards the world around you. All of this is adultery. The word adultery, when we talk about what that means, contextually is easy to align with marriage. You're in a marriage, you're in a covenant. It's me and you, and that's that. I stray outside that covenant, I've committed adultery. Based on Christ's words here, if I look at another woman with lust in my heart and I'm married, I've committed adultery. I don't need to go do anything with her physically. It's already done. It's already done. The reason this is a big deal is that if I commit to Christ and I say, I am in your, I'm, I want you to be the Lord of my life, I want to be your bride, and then I stray... Sin is done. Now, adultery 
specifically centers around sexual sin. But ironically for us, while our relationship with Christ is not a sexual one, I'll be very clear about that. That's not what I'm getting at. Christ in our relationship dictates for us what our, our sexual life should look like as a bride of Christ. Marriage, permissible. That is a permissible sexual relationship. Everything else, not. If Christ is in charge and he makes those rules, and I break those rules, then it's adultery that I've committed against Christ. Not because you know, I'm, I'm committed to him in a marital sexual relationship. I want to make that very clear. But he's the man, he's the one who chooses. He's the one who says what counts. This is what's tolerable. Me. I'm going to tell you the rules. If you break the rules, you've committed adultery. Once again, as the world begins to redefine this, we, they, they want to look at a million sources of truths. I want to talk to other people. We've done studies. We've done research. The Bible is our source of truth and gives us ultimate guidance here. When the church seems to be very rigorous about the same-sex relationships and what transgenderism can do to people and how dangerous it is, even though the world may not have decided, we don't need to talk about all the minutia and this and that and the other. The word is very clear. God has created what God has created, and that is good because he said so. People will struggle. There's going to be all kinds of problems in life with different mental disorders and things that are difficult to connect and urges and strong urges to do things a way that you might feel is better. And other people are going to come beside you and say, that's good too. If the Bible says don't do that, if the Bible says that's wrong and that's not what I intended for you, then it's not what was intended. To put a very fine point on it, single people take heed not to fall victim to lust cloaked as love. It's easy to say you love somebody. The, the, it, it, it's easy to say you really love somebody. I'm going to love you forever. For all time. Me and you. Till death do us part, basically. I mean, I don't really want to go say that and get a license. That's a lot of work. But just know, I'm here for the long haul. Well, you know, no one's going to say that and not mean it. Uh, and then welcome to reality. Um, the, the, the designs of, a, of the lustful mind know no boundaries. When you tread into the world of the indecent, get ready for it all to become indecent. Married people take heed not to fall victim to lust cloaked as friendship. These are sins. They will not change. Very close friends become, that relationship, a very close friendship can become adulterous just like that. There's a, there's a good reason that men and, uh, and, and men and women working together are a slippery slope. You get connected to one another, you hang out a lot, one thing leads to another, and pretty soon you're just friends, but you go out to dinner twice a week, and you go to lunch alone every other day, and you talk all the time, and you text all the time, and, and you're frustrated with your spouse, and this person I can vent to, and you know, nothing's happening here, it's just, we're just chatting, we're just, we're just talking, I haven't done anything, but I'm already investing into this person, into this friendship in an area, knowing that I'm married that probably isn't good for me, and could lead me to a place of temptation. Well, it's not my eyes or my hands, right? I don't know. I know what you're texting with, but for me, it'd be my hands. It's better that I cut my hand off than to start to text with somebody that leads me down a road that's dangerous. This is a sin. This will not change. I do not care what anybody tells you is okay or acceptable, what they heard, what they understand, what they read in a book. It's not good. And it's more than a physical expression of lust. This is the real twist of the passage. It doesn't matter if you never did anything. I've heard this said before, we didn't really do anything. <laughs> I mean, we know. 
we went to the movies and then we sat in the car and we talked and this and the other, but we, you know, we didn't really do anything. Did you really want to? If the other person had said, let's go do something, would you have done it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But we didn't. We didn't. <laughs> we, you, I mean, but you were, you were ready to go. I mean, you were, you were in there. You were, you were, you were, your mindset was, all I want is a green light. If I don't get it, then I'll take that as a sign. Uh, the sign is a red light straight away. Should not be in that space. I know dating is a tricky thing. And I know people look at people in, marriage, in marriages and say, well, it's easy for you because you're married. Yeah, well, I wasn't married. I wasn't assigned. I wasn't born married. This happened. I walked through this. I, I went through this notion of trying to control us, try to redirect it into courtship that's meaningful. The Bible, by the way, has great tips for all of this. If you hear this, you're like, man, I, I kind of feel like maybe I'm in a, in a situation that it feels like adultery, but we haven't really done anything, and I don't really, it's not lust. It's certainly not a sex thing for me. It's just I like being with somebody who cares for me. That is a red flag. It is a red flag. This is not about physical expression. This is about a mental commitment, a, a, a crossing over into you are more to me than just another person. You are special to me in a unique way. You are set apart. The church uses a word for things set apart, holy. If somebody in your life is holy and it's not your spouse, if they're not set apart, that's problematic. That's adultery. You may not like to hear this. You might say, oh, this guy's full of baloney. Fine. I, 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 it's okay to think that way, but I'll, I'd love to sit down and talk to you more about why you think that. If your intention was lust and you went through it in your mind, then it's done. We didn't do anything. Well, I really would have wanted to. Well, then consider that you did it. You did it. What Christ is saying is if you did it in your heart, you did it. And I would imagine this can fix just about everyone. The eye roll situation here, the reason we have all these things about boys will be boys and you know how it is, and, is because everyone's convicted. Spoiler alert, church, that is the point of this sermon. Not my sermon, Christ's sermon. Mine too, but also, you cannot do this. You have committed the sin. It is on your card. It's there. Oh, no, technically, no, technically you did. I'm telling you, I know. If you did it in your heart, you did it. So everyone's going, oh, I guess we all did it then. I guess we're all adulterers. Yes, that's correct. Wait, oh, we can't all be adulterers. You can, and you are. Now, maybe there's some people, I don't know everybody's heart, that has never struggled with this. I envy you as somebody that struggles with lust. I've been in prayer my whole life with this. It's a constant thing for me. Keep it in check. Avert my eyes. Try not to watch programs that lead me into temptation. I got tired of confessing to my wife endlessly. It just, it's, it's tedious. I loathe this part of me. For those of you that don't suffer with this, I call you, I call you blessed. I was going to say lucky, but you're blessed. It's a blessing. But don't think for a minute that that can't change tomorrow. Because this, this is the kind of thing that is engineered to continually be a part of us. We know it because marriage is what marriage is. Men are designed to be attracted to women and vice versa. This is the, the, the natural order of things. But there's a manner in which we can leverage that attraction that glorifies God. That's the good news. What we're talking about here is when we just ignore all that and do it our own way. And why is it important? Because adultery can condemn us if we do not act. Now, if you've heard me preach in the past, I'm thinking, oh, we do not act, but I didn't think we could do anything good. This is true. <clears throat> this is true. What we see here, though, is Christ saying, if your eyes cause you to sin, pluck it out. Hands cause you to sin, cut it off. 
That's action. We're called to act. Should you pluck out your eyes and cut off your hands if you're struggling with adultery? Um, maybe. I don't know. I mean, that's something to probably talk to some other elders about more closely to figure out what's going on. But if it's just you and the sin and you're on an island and you're struggling, do it. Gouge out your eyes. Cut off your hands. It's better that you do that than go to hell. In this case, we have a lot of other tools in the bag that come before us cutting our hands and gouging out our eyes. But that paints for us a picture of seriousness. If we just let this go, if we just ignore this sin, if we just double down on it, I got my church life and I got my philandering life, I apologize to my wife every three weeks and I cheat on her all the time, I'm not changing, I'm just wired that way, God built me different, you know, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a highly sexed individual, all these things that we try to justify our actions, they're all, it's all sin and it's all adultery, it's not of God and it's not the way it's supposed to be. The second half of verses 29 and 30, which are the same, it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Do what it takes to get this sin out of your life. The good news is what it takes has already been done. We have the, the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. This changes lives. But it's better to be maimed than go to hell. And we need to take drastic action to prevent drastic sin. Should we be cutting off our hands? Ideally, no. But we need to be prepared to understand. If you don't understand, if you understand nothing else from what I say today, know that adultery, sexual immorality, is an absolute caustic nightmare of a sin. It can ruin your life. You're sinning against yourself. You're sinning against God. You're sinning against your spouse, your family, your children, your friends, all of it. It is wide-ranging. It affects us chemically. It affects other people chemically when they feel underappreciated and that they're not respect. It's, it's awful what it can do. There's a reason that we are told so vehemently to do what it takes. But the good news is it cannot overcome the work of Christ. Before you start cutting off hands and lopping out eyes, let me tell you about Jesus. If you can't see, I guess I can't be looking upon things that might lead me to temptation. But if I've already seen them, then they're still in my head, and I can still dwell on them. It's not going to stop it altogether. If you feel hopeless and isolated by sexual sin, I've got great news. Christ has paid for all of it. All sexual sin, past, present, and future, every adulterous relationship, every lustful thought, all of it, all of it has been covered. As the Holy Spirit works in us to believe and repent, we do change. I can tell you that my struggles have been easier over time. The Holy Spirit has changed my mind. I see things differently. I react to things differently. I'm a little bit smarter. I'm driven to make better decisions than I would have ever made as a younger man. Biology helps too. I know that. I've heard all the arguments. Well, it's just because you're getting older and, you know, the chemicals. and I, Yeah, yeah, that's all fine and good. But I can tell a difference in me. The desire is, is dwindling away. There's a hopefulness now that wasn't there. Rewinding the clock 25 years, and I thought I could fix all this on my own. I've been to a million seminars. A million? Not a million. It's hyperbole. But I've been to a lot where it's like, gentlemen, we need to stay in our lane. We need to treat women like they're our sisters. And then I would always think to myself, I don't want to marry my sister. <laughs> well, except for the one you're going to marry. Then she's going to be not your sister. Like, what does that mean? I don't understand it. What, what I'm here to tell you is this is very hard stuff. If you are single 
and you're trying to figure out how you could possibly connect and find yourself a meaningful relationship that isn't going to cause you to do this, I encourage you to, to go to church to look for a spouse. Not a bar, not a hunting club, not the mall. Those are meat markets in many regards. I mean that as negatively as you might want to take it. They're engineered to attract you to look. Look over here. I'm single. Okay, she appears to be single. But, well, how dare you look at me this way? I don't know what to do. I better get out of here. If you come to a church and you're looking to get connected, be honest. I'm, I'm burning with desire for somebody. I don't even know who it is, but I really don't want to fall victim to a, a manipulative relationship because I'm so desperate and I know where I'm at and I need prayer and I need guidance. I don't want to speak for every church, but our church has some pretty perspective people. Various ages, various times in relationships, married a little bit later in life, married a little bit earlier in life, different decisions made on that path with intent, some without intent. We would love to discuss this. Take what the Bible shows us and put it into action. It can get better right now and eventually be as far from you as the east is from the west. That's a promise in the word. These things that you feel like have completely sullied you and maybe made you untenable on beyond salvation, that's not true. That is a lie. All of that paid for can be washed away. There's a really famous bit. I mean, if I'm going to, I just want to cite it briefly, but uh, there's an example I saw a lot where you take, a, you take an orange and you wrap it in foil and everybody pokes a nail through it as it goes around. And then at the end, you unwrap it and like, what's it look like? And it's a mess. It's just a, you know, it's wrecked. It's been pierced and there's metal inside of it now. And it, it doesn't look appealing. And it's, the juice is half gone. And like, this is why we don't want to engage in premarital sex. Look at what the, the sex did to this orange or whatever. And I remember thinking, what? And, and Matt Chandler talked about this example with a rose. They pass the rose all the way around. And it gets to the front and the rose is missing petals. And the pastor's like, who wants this rose? And he was like, further along in his belief than I was at that time, he thought, <laughs> he was super mad thinking, Jesus wants the rose. <laughs> That's why he came. Even the church will tell you that if you've gone down a road so far and you've made all these decisions for the sake of purity and you've blew it, that you may as well not show your face around here. You're, you're refuse and you're not good enough anymore. You've taken something that you only had one of and you've thrown it all away. Well, that may well be. But Jesus Christ has redeemed that will, can redeem that. I'm here to tell you today, it's not too late. If you're mired in any sexual sin, today's the day to knock that off. I can, I've tried. Let us know. We will pray for you. I will pray for you. Let me know and I will pray for you. We can pray together. We can hold each other accountable. Sexual sin. Now, I want to be very clear. If you are a man, I will pray with you and hold you accountable. If you are a woman, do not ask me about this. Not because I don't want to help you, because I am ill-equipped to do so. There are plenty of women in this church who would love to talk to you about the struggles that women have with regards to sexual sin. I am not a woman. I do not have the same kinds of struggles, I assume. And I certainly don't want to get into it because it's not my position to do so. But if, if we can help, we want to help. Sexual sin is devious. It affects our body. It makes it tough to conquer. Just like drugs and sugar, all these weird things that we see cause these dopamine releases in our brain, sexual sin is right in the same place. It causes the same sort of thing. If you revel in it and you indulge it over and over and over, it becomes more and more difficult with time to knock it off. You'll never hear me say it's impossible. You'll never hear me say it's, that, that's just how you're wired. Despite your best efforts to wire your brain, 
the Holy Spirit can and does and might undo that in an evening, for all I know. Or he might be undoing that for the next 30 years of your life, a day at a time. Either way, today's the day to knock it off. Don't go it alone. We want to help. The only hope for recovery and restoration is Jesus Christ. I can say this unequivocally. Take steps. Turn your internet off. Go for long walks. Pray with your spouse more. Do what you need to do. Please do that stuff. Please. But just know that it's the actions themselves will not change anything in the long run. We need, absolutely need Jesus Christ for that. I fear it's too late. I was involved in some campus ministries, and I heard this more than once. I watched people try and fail and leave, just walk off. If you're hearing this, it's not too late. I've tried it, and it didn't work in the past. Well, try it again. Try it again. Come back. Let's pray again. What's the harm in trying it for a 15th time, a 32nd time, a 432nd time? Every day, every day, as long as I can remember, I pray for some aspect of, of lust in my life to be quelled or removed. I've lost count. I used to keep track. I used to have a number in my head. Somewhere around 3,400 days, I gave up. I, couldn't, I, can't, I can't remember what the number is. Every day I pray. Every day I struggle. Every day I'm thankful that Christ has done the needful for me. And despite that, to, despite me, Christ has done what's necessary. But I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to throw in the towel and just say, well, I guess that's how I'm wired. I guess that's how I'm wired. I just, you know, God built me this way, so I'm just going to lean into it and stop repenting. No, I'm going to repent again. Commit to Jesus as your Lord, and he will begin changing you. After all those prayers and all this time, it has gotten better. I heard an analogy once uh, with Billy Graham used about when he was first saved, he wrote a list of like 10 things he wanted to change about himself, big sins in his life. And now he's been you know, ministering all this stuff for 30 years, and in an interview they said, what's that list at now? He's like, 26. 26. You know what that's, that, why that sticks in my head? Because the closer we get to God, the more horrific we look. I like the analogy of I'm, if I'm far away from a bright light, I'm like, well, that clothes look pretty good. This is a story of my life in real life. I didn't spill on myself at all. And I walk out in the sunlight, oh my gosh, I look like a murderer. Right? There's food all over me. and I've, It's terrible. The closer we get to holiness, the, 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 the more we want to draw near to God, the more we're going to notice the things about ourselves that aren't good, that we don't like. That's okay. It will be a slow process as a little bit of dirt gets removed at a time. The Holy Spirit constantly scrubbing us, asking us to scrub ourselves here. I'll remove that one miraculously, but you're going to need to work on that one. You're going to feel those burdens. I've got to do this. I can do better. I need help. I need prayer. This church, his church, is committed to working together in this endeavor. This is not a go fix it and come back. I stand in front of you so thankful that's not the case. We work together. Wise words, scripture, getting into our heads, wise counsel, changing things, helping us to make better decisions, knowing there are people we can call and say, it's, uh, I, you know, neighbor, sunbathing. I walked in the house. I glanced for a second. I can't stop thinking about it. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? You are rife with sin in a world consumed by it. Let's pray. Let's pray that thought gets out of your head and you never have it reclaimed again. Know who you are. Remind yourself. You are saved. You know that to be true. There's more to this 
Put that thing under control. Rest those thoughts. Bring them under God's bidding. It's hard work, but it's worth it. So call to action. Don't stand and fight your sexual sin alone. I can speak of somebody that's tried it for a long time. It's embarrassing. It's frustrating. It is a losing battle. If you think you're just going to stand and overcome the thing that God, God told you to cut your hands and eyes off about, you're fooling yourself. You're putting yourself in a place that God has not intended us to be. The Holy Spirit is the only thing that's going to be able to defeat sin in your life. If you need help, please reach out. Our church is in the restoration business. I mean that in every sense of the word. We want to restore people to Christ, but we want to restore husbands to wives and kids to parents and friendships that have been torn asunder by bad behavior for, for ill repute. We want to bring all this back together. We want to restore people. If you don't know who Jesus is, we want to fix that ASAP. Today is the day. If this sounds foreign, but also interesting. If you know in your heart there's something that's just been destroying you and you don't know what to do about it, you've tried a number of things and it just didn't work, try Christ. <laughs> try Christ. Don't take my word for it. Take 2,000 years of history. Take an infinite amount of time back to b before we were even a, uh, before time even existed, where this was the plan for mankind. This was the plan for mankind. If you're looking for a church home, please join us. We've got some exciting things going on here at Calvary Heights of the Lord, not of our own doing. We are going to go where the Lord sends us. We are going to minister to the people that the Lord brings us. And we are determined to take the actions that we need to take as a church to get out in front of people. That's the kind of commitment that we want to have as a body. And when it comes to these sins like anger and lust, especially inside these walls, we want to do everything that we can to help everyone grow closer to Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these passages. I, I, you know, Lord, how challenging they are to me. And I get fired up about it because I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly that comes from uh, lust. Thankful for those times that it can be directed towards, you know, my wife and, uh, and that appropriate burning in my uh, desire that burns for her, Lord. And I pray that for those of us that are struggling in this space, Lord, that, that you rekindle that desire and you quell the other desires and you give us new minds and new eyes and new hands so that we don't have to cut off the old stuff. You're going to do that for us, Lord. We look forward to a day when we're in completely new bodies where things like sin and death are no more. We no longer have to struggle with these things. We no longer have to contend with our sinful selves. Constant repentance, Lord. We do look forward to that. But all that's going to pale in comparison to being in your presence, Lord. We'll have no desire to sin, being in absolute goodness, Lord. I pray that we take time today and we address the things that need addressed in our lives. But more than that, Lord, we focus on you, not our sin, on you. You'll bring our sins to light. You'll help the, the, even the unknowns, the, the sins we're not even considering, you'll help us to understand them and be able to, to work towards even getting those under control, to be able to repent of those fully. You don't expect us to get clean and then come to you, Lord. We come to you to get clean. And I pray that you're going to resurrect everybody within earshot of this message that is dead in sin right now, Lord. Bring them to new life and start a journey towards reconciliation and restoration. It's in your sons that I pray. Amen.